Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dowler Coltman. I'm joined by Elliot Tanti, and Elliot is back. Braden Dowler Coltman has come back. Has come back from uh, winter winter peg, and has joined us once again. Welcome back, Braden. It has been far far too long. Thank you. It's great to be back. It wasn't as much of a winter peg as it was when I returned to Edmonton. Uh, but it was a, a wonderful place to be. I highly, highly suggest anybody go and check out Winnipeg. It's a very, very cool town. Very, very cold town. Yes. Very cool. Cold. cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we heard you. We heard you. Freezing um, cold. <laughs> all right. We are. Uh, we got lots to get to. Let's get right to it. Here is topic one. Let's get to topic one here. Uh, Braden, you were in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is part of this first story because Sunday was the gray cup now first question to both of you did you watch the gray cup elliot yes or yes no? we did we watched it as a family and Braden, did you watch the gray cup i watched the second half and as darren Titian said as he was handing out the gray cup was that a football game or was that a football game i'm here to tell you that was a football game yeah i'm pretty sure it was a football game Pretty good football game lots of blocks lots of the tights you know the game was football the game was, was close it was right. it was a football game. Before we get all before we get too excited here, I I, I want to have a conversation because I'm I'm fascinated by this. So I, I am happy to hear that you watched it, Elliot. You're a very good supporter of the Canadian game. I'm not Braden. It's interesting you've watched the second half. Here's the thing. I'm not going to I forgot lie. it was on. <laughs> so did I. I I uh, I 100 did not know the Grey Cup was on until I literally turned on the television and saw someone, uh, an artist, I guess from Florida Georgia Line, but I didn't even know who he was playing uh, the halftime show. And I thought huh. to myself, how did I not know the Grey Cup was on? And then I thought to myself, why do I care? Because I didn't care all year, and I haven't watched a single CFL game other than the one I attended with my son when the tickets were free. Honestly, for me, I I really am fascinated by where we are with the CFL in our current culture as Canadians and in sort of the sports culture at large. So here's my question. Is the CFL dead? And if not, are we watching it slowly march towards sort of a, not obscurity, but like irrelevance. Like it feels like every year since COVID the CFL has meant less and less uh, mm. outside of the small pockets in this country where it still, I think means a lot, but in the broader bigger populated parts of this country i think it's losing any foothold it ever had and i'm fascinated by sort of it's just lack of fight when it comes to trying to to hold on to its relevance um maybe we have different thoughts on this but i know none of us were very active cfl consumers this year uh but you watched it as a family elliot so i'll start with you like what was the draw is it a tradition thing is it uh is it a patriotic thing like where you all sat down. How long? Like, was this a planned thing? No, I actually had no intention on watching the game. But my mom, and that's a good place to start. My mom is really passionate about watching the Grey Cup every year. So we watch it with my mom. And we usually make a deal of it. The same way that we always watch the Super Bowl, whether we care about it or not. Because it's just what we do as a family. But it's my mom that drove it. And that's when we're talking about problems with the CFL, that's the problem is that that's the generation that they're one catering to and two only interested anymore. And, you know, love my mom, but she's in her sixties. Like that's the challenge here. And so, yeah. And then, you know, I started watching the game and I sort of like, Oh yeah, this is why I don't like this because the quality of play is not very good. It like the first half was atrocious. 
and miss like we're talking about like basic stuff like easy catching throwing catch passes that being dropped missed field goals like just and i you know this is meant to be the pinnacle of the game the best game of the season or with the two best teams remaining and that was the quality that we were watching today like i was i was sort of shocked at 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 at, at it and i every time i go back to it it seems like the quality is getting worse and worse and worse and so like that's it. Like, that's where I'm at. I, it's bad. Like, it's not fun to watch the, the, the pinnacle of this game. It was a one point football game. Sure. It was interesting at the end. It was literally because neither team could kick a field goal high enough for the other team to not block it. Like, you know, like that's, that's really where we're at in terms of the quality of this league. And I just, and it doesn't help that the Elks suck too. So I don't really watch them. Like, it's just, it's bad. And you said declining since COVID. I couldn't disagree with you more. It's been declining for 15 years. Yeah. COVID certainly didn't help, though. Losing an entire season, I think, was definitely like a, a, a significant, you know, if they were already marching down the stairs, they fell down a flight uh, during that. And then they have never recovered from, from, from that little slip up. Braden, for you, you watched the second half. Did You, you seem to enjoy what you watched. But for <laughs> you, like, I mean, how much football, CFL football have you watched this year? Uh, this year, very, very little, but I think Elliot touched on it. My team sucks. So why, you know, what is there for me to watch? Uh, there's a, it's the, you know, the whole changing the name drove me out of wanting to care enough about my football team. And then I, and then I was a bit of a free agent. I didn't have an allegiance. I didn't have a tie to a team. And that I think is, uh, it, it's why it's why I was driven away, and, and then I, you know, I took up the NFL. I went, well, this is kind of a lot. <laughs> you know, I prefer the four downs. I prefer the, but I I have a hard time thinking that it's everybody feels that way. You know, being in Winnipeg, those fans love that team. The people in that town, you know, they live and breathe Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and you know, there's still so many people that love the fact that although three downs, it's a bigger field. Um, different kind of play style watching the second half. I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah. There was missed field goals, but like how often do you get to see a blocked field goal? That that's, that's, that's good defense. There was also a, what a oh, hundred. Yeah. But the kick, I don't think the kicking changes. The, the snap stays the same. The kick, it's still the same timing. There was just better defense there. So, I think, I think, I think in that you, regard. You, you, there was a hundred, hold on a second. There was a 104 yard punt return. Yeah. Which was atrociously covered. Like that, that, that shouldn't happen. How is that not skill though? No, it was, it was a blown coverage in the most important game. The one game where you're supposed to actually do your job and these guys found a way not to do but it. But isn't that, the, to... isn't that the battle? It's either the defense is really good or the offense is really good. So yeah. who, whose problem is it? Like both are just bad and someone gets lucky. So let me ask this then. So it's interesting, Braden, you, you, you bring up that it matters in Winnipeg. I would argue probably matters a lot in Regina. It probably matters a lot. I mean, in, to, let's say Hamilton. To some extent it does but how it, much it. of that, how much of that is, is contingent on success. So oh, Winnipeg has huge. been good for the last five or six years. For right. Sure. And Saskatchewan, it's its own case. We'll deal with Saskatchewan in a second, but like in Hamilton, they've been good for a few years. But when you look at Edmonton, that's a team that meant a lot to that city for a long time. And I mean, like rivaled the Oilers mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just excitement and energy played in a different season, obviously. But but they were a pedigree of an organization that really knew how to 
um, deliver for their fan base, deliver entertainment for their fan base. And then the product on the field was good. But that has been slowly declining. As you say, obviously, the, the, the drawn out and messy divorce with the former name does not help. But equally, then the product on the field is absolute shite. And when you think about it, when you're already losing a, a, the, the core of your fan base to age uh, in terms of what where the, the, the new money coming into the sport is no longer there. Um, because it has been poached and it has been cultivated away by the NFL. Um, as Elliot talked about, you know, the, the, the CFL's core fan base is aging rapidly. Mm-hmm. And if you can't develop a product that's good enough to entertain younger people or catch younger people's attention, you're going to have, you're going to have missed the opportunity to do that. Right. I think people develop their relationships with the teams or sports they care about at very specific points in their lives if they're going to be dedicated fans, let's say, obviously there's casual fans. There's people who just want to go out for a nice evening and have some fun in the summer sun or whatever, pay overpriced tick prices for beer and hot dogs or whatever. That's one thing. But the, the business is built upon developing a fan base of season ticket holders of dedicated fans who are going to go out when they can support it, watch it on TV, all of that stuff. If you're not cultivating that and developing that through quality, as a quality product, people know the difference. They can see the difference and, they, and yeah. they're they willing to find a better product. I think the challenge in the CFL too is that year by year, there's no consistency or sustainability with the players, right? We're constantly getting but different that's players in and case. out. Well, that's always been sure. the case. Even at the CFL's like peak, the reality was still that you were a development league for the top talent and then you were basically a landing place for the guys who just couldn't make it in the NFL. Maybe top talent guys in the NCAA who just never found a roster spot somewhere south of the border. They came up here. Some of them had great careers. Look, at there's many CFL stars who had very successful careers here. Milt Stiegel, Matt Dunnigan. I mean, they're on the broadcast now. Of course. Ricky Ray. Guys who, I mean, Anthony Calhoun, literally the all-time passing leader in professional football, played his entire career. Calvillo. Um, Calvillo, sorry, uh, Ben Cahoon. Is you think Ben, Both, the guy he passed I, it I, to. I combined them. <laughs> Anthony Calvillo. Um, but the reality is, and, and like, that's, that's a generation of players who were able to play in a league that held a very comfortable um, sort of market share, let's call it, of the Canadian sports ecosystem. And the only thing, in my opinion preventing the CFL from absolute financial ruin right now is TSN. And the only reason TSN has sunk the amount of resource and money into this league that they have is because they lost the, the deal for the NHL to Bell, to Rogers. So Bell is looking at their portfolio of content. They've already got the NFL deal for Canada. So they've got football already, but they have this Canadian sort of cultural relic that they're trying to continue to sell as a current thing. And unfortunately for them, the product itself isn't keeping up with the other offerings available. Right. I would argue that in the last, like, I don't know the numbers, but I would be very surprised if in the last decade, the CFL hasn't had the largest proportion of its sort of market share taken out by simply the fact that, that, fantasy football has changed young people's perspective on the NFL and on college football. And the way that people want the football people want to consume is no longer three down football in Canada with seven teams. 
and it's individual. Like the question I would have is I would hate to see, I mean, the CFL for me is very similar to you guys. It's, it's kind of gotten away from me in terms of my interest, but I would hate to see this league absolutely collapse. Like how, what would the strategy be here? Is it completely well, rebranding? I think they've missed the opportunity the already. Of the and I think that's why I say, I think the CFL is already, if it's not dead, it's on its deathbed right now because it's missed its window. I think the CFL is, it, there was a moment where the CFL could pivot, embrace new, embrace young, embrace uh, an opportunity to, to, to accept that its best days were behind it and it needed to become something new. I think there was an opportunity at, that was missed in terms of whatever relationship could have been forged with the XFL. I think that the CFL should about a decade ago have accepted that the way modern sports content was moving, people weren't going to have a TV where they only had three channels with sports available to them and to stay relevant, they needed to attach themselves to a much bigger uh, shark and, 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 and accept that they were going to get the leftovers, but if they stayed with the big guy, that, that the big guy would, would sort of, you know, the tide floats all boats kind of thing. They should have become a partner with the NFL. They should have become a feeder system. They could have been the G league. They could have been the AHL. They need a strategic partnership with the only successful professional football league that has stood the test of everything that's come at it. And that's the NFL and it's gargantuous in nature. It's probably the most successful dollar for dollar sports league in the world competing with, you know, the premier league and whomever else it knows it. I mean, it's a Goliath. And to think that you are going to chew away at a little bit of that market share when young people are going there on mass is just foolish. And I think that that opportunity was missed to partner with the XFL and try to do that together. Um, but I think that unfortunately, when you're a dinosaur, you don't necessarily see the meteor coming until it hits. They don't rec- I mean, they don't recognize, they didn't recognize the peril they were in until they were already past the point of no return. And I'm worried that's where the CFL has already you, got you itself. You don't want to see this thing die, do you? I'm not saying I want to. I'm just saying I'm, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm observing. Well, what Which are we is, losing? That's like my question is, what are we losing at this point? Like, yeah, you know, watching the game today, I'm like, I, I'm like, what is this? Like, this broadcast isn't up to par. The people that they have on there are consistently the same and consistently terrible, and they they were refused and are so solidified in their jobs that they'll never ever make a change ever, um, because of the relationship. With, no with one else wants the job, and and there is this, there is this fascination with the idea that the Toronto Argonauts need to be successful for the league to be successful, even though they're the fifth most, the fifth most possible uh, popular team in yeah. people aren't even going to notice in Toronto. If they yeah. Are, and, and, but, but there's this fascination around this, like, you know, everyone's crying and thanking God because you know, the Argonauts won today and that they were in the, they were in the, 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 the great cup. Cause you know, that's all anyone ever really wants at TSN. And so that's frustrating. And, you know, I, I think Jordan's idea of strategic partnership with the NFL is an interesting one. I just don't think the, 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 if no, the NFL... There's no al- value add for the NFL anymore. Well, why do you do it, right? Exactly. But I exactly. do think, I think that there's probably, like we saw a couple rule changes come in this year. I think they need an overhaul in rule changes. I think they need to contemplate the fourth down. I think they need to contemplate going to a smaller field. I think that like I think they need to have some serious conversation. There's around. nothing. There's nothing they should not be contemplating. There's yes. absolutely nothing absolutely. that should be off the table at this point. Absolutely. You are a league whose fan base is is literally outgrowing you. 
And, yeah. and, and the reality is that you, that it's not sustainable. It's not economic. This is already a complete economic bust as a league. It makes no money. Most of these teams barely break even. Um, and to keep that scale of sports commitment, when we're talking about, you know, like 40 man rosters here, it's just not realistic. It's not, it's not feasible given the current economic and, and, and entertainment ecosystem world. So I don't know if it's dead, but it feels like we're, we're, we're watching, uh, we're watching it get close. Let's leave it there. That's topic one. All right. It's time for our pick of the week presented by Betstamp. Betstamp is your one-stop shop for line shopping, bet tracking, and sports betting odds. You would never just go with the first price if you were shopping for flights. So why settle for the first odds you find when betting? Betstamp changes that. They streamlined and made it easier than ever to find the best wide spectrum of odds for any bet. Makes it easy to track your bets all in one place and you can get alerts in case the line changes. You can learn what bets your friends and even celebrity bettors are making. So it's time for our pick of the week. Now, Elliot, you made a very bold pick of the week last week. You chose- I think I made a very smart pick last week. You picked the Washington Commanders to beat the absolute juggernaut of the Philadelphia Eagles and they shocked the world and did it. A fantastic pick by you. So you have the honor. That was making, a crazy pick. Making this week's pick of the week. Who you who you got, and what's the pick? Well, let me tell you. You thought that one was crazy. How about this, guys? This <laughs> week, World Cup kicks off, and we've got Canada versus Belgium in the first game of that group. I am taking Canada. All right, Canada's fan- yeah, can- Canada's fantastic. If you were to go to Betstamp right now, you'd you'd see that the best odds for that are actually at Pinnacle. They are plus five forty-seven, and the uh, that which is, I mean, that's significantly better odds than let's say if you were to go to Sports Interaction, where you'd only get a plus four eighty. So again, demonstrating right there why Betstamp makes finding the best odds easier than ever. So if you want to join us this week, jump on Canada's bandwagon. You can download the Betstamp app for free, and when you do, please use the code Ordinary at setup so that they know we sent you. To always get the best value when you're betting, choose Betstamp. All right, let's get to topic two. A bold prediction by Elliot there. We're going to talk World Cup. Uh, The World Cup has already kicked off. Qatar uh, took on Ecuador and became the first host nation ever to lose the opening game of the World Cup, which is kind of interesting, historically. Not really a surprise. Uh, Doesn't happen. It's the first time in its (laughs) (laughs) life. Not really really a... uh, a uh, huge juggernaut in the world of, of soccer, uh, football. Um, but the World Cup is here. And Elliot, you and I kind of talked about it last week. We kind of gave Canada a little bit of uh, a tease there just because we were excited about it. So we talked a little bit about them. But we're going to run through the whole table here in a second. Just just each group and kind of talk a little bit about what we're excited for. But before we do that, just on the whole, obviously, there is a lot of conversation <laughs> that has to happen around the fact that this uh, world cup is taking place in Qatar at all. Uh, obviously we are not the first people to bring this up. It's very much part of the conversation and it will continue to be part of the conversation, no matter what the FIFA president or anybody else associated with FIFA wants to do. This is blatant and utter sports washing. We've talked about it before on this show. Uh, Qatar has a very, very bad uh, human rights track record. It is not hard to go and see the long list of um, examples uh, of this the, this poor uh, behavior. Um, Amnesty International put out a, a very long document outlining all of 
um, the observation <laughs> and research that they have done. It's not hard to go find this stuff. It's very much obvious there. FIFA would love to pretend it's not a part of the conversation. It is part of the conversation and should be. However, at the end of the day, we are also talking about a sporting event. Many of these players have absolutely no ability to decide where the World Cup is going to be played. None of them do, really. This is about politics. This is about bureaucracy. So putting that aside for just a moment, I would like to talk about what we're expecting from the sporting side of this. But I wanted to clarify at the beginning, we are not trying to brush under the rug the serious nature of what else is going on here. Um, and obviously, it will continue to evolve as it did the other day when they announced that they were not going to allow liquor sales which I'm sure has been very difficult for Budweiser, who is the number one highest paying sponsor of FIFA's World Cup. And I'm sure is not particularly pleased with the, that decision after having already been given multiple assurances uh, that they would not be doing this. And then further to that, we've also seen great examples of journalistic uh, censorship, journalists coming into the country and having their equipment confiscated and whatnot. All of that's there. That's part of the conversation, but for a moment, let's run through the sporting side of it. Elliot, I know that for you, you are you are kind of our resident football uh, aficionado fan. I know you're excited. You talked about being excited last week. When this comes around every four years, is this like like a leap year kind of Christmas? Yeah, this is a very important thing time in my ho uh, household. Uh, my wife is an avid Germany fan, uh, avid Iran fan. Uh, and uh, I usually pick the team that everyone hates the most because that's what I do in sports uh, and cheer for them. And that is uh, uh, what I, I intend to do this time, except for I also have Canada. So, yes, I'm stoked. I'm very stoked. I'm very excited uh, for the World Cup. It's going to be awesome. Braden, um, will you be uh, getting up early on the mornings that these games are here to try to catch them live? Or is this the kind of sporting event you're willing to to sort of follow along from the sidelines. Hell no. You. Hell no. I am not getting up early to watch these games, but I'm very excited to be following the journey that Canada will be embarking on uh, in the World Cup. I think it's, I mean, the excitement <clears throat> leading up to it was was everything, and, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it's only just starting the excitement that Canada's in for. Um, and they're actually in a pretty decent pool, it looks like. I mean, Belgium's going to be pretty tough uh croatia is also a pretty good team but i think looking at the other groups i think they're you know they've i think they can hand i think they can i could they can they can make something happen i've got some faith in this canada team this this uh this time i mean it's the first time that they've been there for a very long time i think so your lifetime all of our lifetimes uh, let's run through it really quickly, Elliot. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to list the teams in each of these groups, and I just want you to tell me who you want to who who you're excited to see what they have or what you're expecting out of each of these groups. So Group A obviously has the host country Qatar, Ecuador, as I said, already beating them in the first game. They've got Senegal and the Netherlands. It's a good group if you're the Netherlands or Ecuador, I would argue. But what else should we expect from this group? Any any uh, any storylines? No, I think you've kind of hit it on the head. Uh, the story here is the Netherlands and how the only concern I think is are these teams tune up enough. Like, does this give the Netherlands enough of a tune-up stage or tune-up uh, challenge so that when they play real teams later on <laughs> in the playoff round, uh, they're ready to go? That would be my only concern. The Netherlands are one of the strongest teams, and if you bet on them to win this year, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a bad good odds. All right, let's jump to Group B. Now, this is a bit more of a competitive group and a, certainly an interesting one for a lot of different reasons. You have England, Iran, United States, and Wales. 
Lots of storylines, lots of drama here. Look, any any group that England is in at the World Cup is always going to be uh, one that's closely, closely watched. You add Wales to that, and you've got a very fascinating UK uh, mm-hmm. matchup going on there. A lot of players who know each other very well from playing in the Premier League. Uh, and then, obviously, the United States, who is no not considered a powerhouse in any way uh, in this tournament, but has a lot of geopolitical ramifications when they take on a country, let's say like Iran. So Elliot, obviously, as you already pointed out, there's some uh, household allegiance to this uh, group. But for you, when you look at group B, what, what are your expectations here? So one, the England Wales game is going to be nuts. So mm-hmm. make sure you're going to watch one game in this group stage. That's one that you might want to watch. Um, you know what I'm really interested in is seeing how team USA does because they really took a step back following behind uh, Canada this year. Uh, And we saw last year in the qualifications and in that conversation, there's lots of concerns about their program. Uh, And so are they going to challenge in the group stage? This is, there's, there's certainly an opportunity here, um, but it's, you know, it's not a pushover. So uh, how the United States response is going to be important here. And that's one of the things I'm going to be watching for in this group. Braden. This group, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what England and Wales that game will look like. Beyond that, I couldn't care less. All right, let's jump to Group C. Your enthusiasm is electric, right? <laughs> Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Uh, this is an interesting group as well. Obviously, Argentina uh, will have Leon Messi, big big uh, draw. A very uh, just you know one of those internationally recognized athletes. So that that that's always a draw. Uh, Again, we saw a lot of Mexico in our qualification rounds. So we've seen that team, Saudi Arabia and Poland also in there. So Elliot, for you, is this a shoe in for Argentina? Do they need to kind of be thinking the same way the Netherlands do as far as uh, using this as a tune-up or should they be expecting uh, a bit of a challenge for many of these teams? I think Mexico is their biggest challenge, but you know what's good? I, but really, like those are the two teams that I think you, you can reasonably expect to come out of this group stage. But Saudi Arabia is always a show. Uh, there's always a bunch of princes in the uh, house. They're always cutting to them while well, the game is going on. That this is in Qatar, close to Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's gonna, that's gonna be just kind of an interesting side storyline and some silliness going on. So uh, that's why I like the Saudis. But other than that, this is clearly an Argentina Mexico group. No, no questions asked. Braden, would you say that Mexico is your favorite team in this group? No. What? No. Why? No, God, no. Argentina, man. They, like the, the, yeah, I mean, for a fan, like for a fan who doesn't watch a lot of uh, football, uh, soccer, it's always fun to watch uh, individual players. So, what you know, it, turning up for Messi or, or Ronaldo or you know, Harry Kane, those kinds of guys, that, that's the kind of stuff you, Alfonso Davies even, it's, that, those are the kinds of uh, storylines I like to follow. So I'm, I'm excited to see Messi in this. I mean, I think he'll, yeah, I think he's, He'll dominate this this group stage. All right, Group D, we've got France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. This is an interesting one. Obviously, France is a favorite here uh, in this tournament. A lot of um, expectation on them, um, Mbappe. Uh, but there's also players missing. Uh, Pogba is not there. So France, uh, obviously, again, I would argue the clear leader in this. But what else should we be expecting from the Aussies or the da- the Danish? And I don't know much about Tunisia's uh, football program. Well, but what this is. 
this is what's really interesting about this group is I think France is the shoe in for this group, but then any one of those three other teams could be the second team. And so what happens in, in their matches against each other? And if one of them can sneak a draw against France, I mean, that would be awesome. That would really help their chances as well, too. So this is really a three-way fight. There's three teams really that kind of evenly match that have a chance to take that second spot. Let's go to group E. We have Spain, Costa Rica, who was the last team to qualify for the World Cup, beating New Zealand, Germany, and Japan. Now, some have argued this is the group of death. I think it's tricky to say. I, I would also argue, I think these are pretty well-balanced groups overall. We've seen in previous World Cups some draws that are very much more uh, difficult in terms of certain, certain big countries all getting clumped together. But here you obviously have Germany as the powerhouse. Spain is a good team. Costa Rica, as I said, made it in just here at the very end of it. And then, then you have Japan there. Is this again, another situation where Germany is going to just coast through this or does any of these other teams pose a threat to them? In no, Spain is very good. And Germany, that will be a challenge for Germany. Who's playing a much younger team and is not the, is not the team that won the world cup eight years ago, for sure. Um, I call this the group of death. You might argue that group H is the group of death. We'll talk about that one later. Um, but I think, you know, Germany, Japan does offer a challenge and the loser of the game between Germany and Spain, if there is a loser, uh, you know, that that's when things get a little bit dicey. Uh, but poor Costa Rica, man, this is a tough group to be. <laughs> All those teams are good. And Japan is good. Japan is good. So I'm going to skip group F just for a moment because we'll finish with Canada. Let's jump to group G. We have Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Again, some big powerhouses here in Brazil. Uh, Serbia has got a good, you know, football history or whatever. Cameroon obviously has, has shown up in world cups previously. This is another interesting setup for us. Um, what do you have for us? Elliot? Yeah. I mean, I think Brazil is clearly the best team out of these four. So it's another one of these circumstances where any one of the three other teams could be the second team coming out of this group. Uh, all are good and kind of evenly matched maybe with Serbia with a slight disadvantage, but even still, like, it's not like, this is going to be a good group to watch and um, we'll really come down to uh, results, the individual results between the teams that when they're not playing Brazil. Um, and obviously Brazil, you know, full of stars as well, Braden, uh, Neymar being uh, one of the more recognizable ones there. So that's another group, obviously for you to have, I guess, some fun with uh, if you're. Yeah. And if I recall, Serbia trying. did like had a pretty decent uh world cup last year so or last last time around so i think they they might be a bit surprising as well this year group h as elliot said potentially the other group of death or the the mini group of death you've got portugal obviously cristiano ronaldo ghana you uh, uruguay and south korea tell us why you think this could be the other group of death elliot well i just think these teams are all evenly matched and, and all really strong like South Korea on a good day can beat any one of these other teams. And they're probably the weakest of the four here. Uh, Ghana is probably the best African country in terms of uh, soccer and has consistently been so far along, uh, you know, numerous years now. Uruguay and Portugal, I, I mean, these are soccer nations. And you've got Ronaldo, obviously, in Portugal. So, you know, I, 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 I just think maybe it's not to the level that we'd expect uh, or previous groups of death that we've seen in the Euros or in World Cup. Um, but in terms of just being a challenging group and not really knowing which group, who's going to come out of it, uh, I, I would say, you know, group, that's why Group H rivals in that way. Now, interesting part about this group uh, that I'd like to point out as we jump back to Group F, this would be the group that the teams from Group uh, F, including Canada, <laughs> would have to play in the next round. So 
Uh, interesting that that's how that'll line up. So let's talk about Group F here. We've we talked a little bit about it last episode, Evelyn. Obviously, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. We're going to see Belgium and Canada on Wednesday. You've pointed out that for you, Canada uh, getting a win would be the equivalent of winning this tournament, considering their previous history. They've never scored a goal in the World Cup, so getting the first goal will matter. Matter. Um, but again, a group that is interesting because yes, you have the world number one ranked Belgium. However, a team that is not necessarily played to their full potential in recent uh, international tournaments. So they have some, you know, proving to do here, but they come in as the clear favorite of this group. And then you have Croatia, who has a very long and very storied and very successful football legacy, uh, including most recently a very good World Cup showing a few years ago. Morocco being kind of the outlier of that part of it. And obviously Canada here, who we haven't seen since 86. So nobody really knows what to expect when Canada faces some of these teams at this level, because they've never done it. Very young players. This is a setup tournament in so many ways for the next one where Canada will be a co-host. A lot of these players will then be more or less in their primes. Um, but there are some veterans on this team. This will be their one and only chance. There's a lot to prove. John Herdman, obviously, who is, I would argue, the greatest Canadian coach of any sport we've ever seen in terms of the product and quality he has produced in the periods of times where he's actually had uh, the opportunity to do that. There's a lot on the line for everyone here. We talked about it last week, Elliot, but you've had another week and it's getting much closer. Where are your expectations at and and sort of... I don't know, what what would you say to look for here as we get set up for the Belgium-Canada match? Well, as I've already said, you know, Canada being 5-1 to one underdogs, I, I'm happy to pick Canada, and I think that's the best bet uh, uh, in terms of money you can make. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I mean, you know, I go back to my comment last week around scoring a goal. You know, maybe that's not the case. What I want to see is a Canada team that uh, can hang with the big boys. And so, I, you know, my hope is that they don't get blown out by Belgium. Um, and, uh, and, and they go toe to toe with the Croatia, right. And, and, and Morocco. And I think this team is going to get better as the tournament goes on, uh, because they're going to get more acclimatized and used to what's happening. So, you know, I, I, that's something else I want to see is some progression with the team as well. Is it reasonable to, for, to expect the candle will get out of this group stage? Probably not. They are, that's a long shot. And I appreciate that, but Crazier things have happened. This team got super hot last year. We saw them beat Co, um, which is no pushover. And, you know, they're showing that they can play and they've got a country behind them that is really rallying around them. So who knows? Um, but they're basically playing with house money here. So any success is good success. And I think that that's going to be important for this team and what they're going to be thinking, have to be thinking about every, they're always going to be the underdog. Um, so teams with nothing to lose are, kind of exciting and i think that's where canada is Braden, um i don't know yeah. what, for you what are your expectations or what are your your uh hopes for this team i well i want to see the i want to see the nation rally around it and i want to see you know some some flair and excitement um from game to game i i think i'm with elliot i'm, I'm not sure they're going to get out of the stage but uh who knows? I mean, they 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 got into the they got into the whole thing. So let's see where they can go from here. It'd be interesting to see how they match up against some of these bigger bigger teams. As Elliot said, with a few groups, I think it's it's interesting when you have a clear cut sort of leader in the group, and then it kind of comes down to wherever the chips fall. Um, that's how this tournament goes. I mean, you get a couple draws in your group round, and all bets are off because you you know it. it 
the top two go through and that, that doesn't mean you have to have dominated your group. You just have to have survived it. Um, there's a saying in Croatia, and I say this because I work very closely with a Croatian Canadian who's very excited to have two teams to cheer for this year. Although I think when the, the chips are down, she's probably going to cheer for Croatia against Canada only because of it is her place of birth. However, she jokes that there's an old saying in Croatian football, which is that the ball is round and it's round for both teams. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Yeah. Literally anything can happen at the end of the day. And, and one bad bounce, one mistake, one, you know, slightly overzealous midfielder with a bad tackle gets a red card. And all of a sudden one team has that man advantage and literally anything can happen. It's sports. That's what makes it exciting. Um, and the best part about it is that to, to do any damage in this tournament, you have to first get there. Canada has done that. Now, as Elliot said, it's house money. All bets are off. Let's go see what happens. And for Canada, uh, I know that there's going to be a lot of nerves. There's going to be a lot of excitement. But once they get through that first, you know, 10, 15 minutes of game one and they settle in and remember, guess what? You're just playing soccer. You're just playing football. All these guys have done this their entire lives. They've dreamed about this moment their entire lives. And they're there. They're at the big show. And how cool is that? So um, we, we wish our Canadian team all the best. Obviously, uh, everybody out there who's excited to, to jump on the football bandwagon as most people in North America do every four years, if they're not already fans or whatever, this is exciting. Uh, I know all the bars in Vancouver have been given special permission to open and sell liquor as early as uh, 7 AM. So uh, it's going to be a, it'll be a lot of fun out there. Play safe, everybody uh, take care of each other and have a lot of fun. This should be a lot of fun. And it kicks off for Canada on Wednesday. That's the world cup for us. That is topic two. Hey, Tyler. Yeah. Do you like basketball? Do I? Well, you're going to love this then. The Backyard Basketball Podcast has returned for its second season. Christian Steck and Braden Deller-Coltman talk hoops every week of the NBA season. No topic from the hardcore is off limits. So if you love basketball, then this show is for you. You can subscribe today anywhere you get your podcasts or learn more on our website, OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Let's get to topic three here. We're going to have a little bit of fun. We'll play a game we played way back at the very beginning of this show. Uh, but it's come around for us because Adidas has launched their newest round and what will be their final round of reverse retros because they're going to no longer be the jersey sponsor in a, f- a few short years, I guess months, uh, still up in the air as to who the new jersey sponsor for the NHL will be. But this has been kind of an Adidas project right from the beginning of their deal with the NHL. We saw the last round and we played a game uh, sort of breaking down what we had seen. We're going to do the same thing now. Um, we're calling it yes, no, and what the fuck. The game is very simple. Each of us has picked a jersey we are very much in favor of. That's our yes. A jersey we are very much not in favor of. That's our no. And a jersey that has us scratching our heads a little bit. Uh, and that could be a positive or a negative thing, depending, I suppose, on the uh, perspective with it. So let's jump to it. Um, I'll go first with my yes. Uh, so if you haven't already seen these, it's easy. Just go go search the Adidas reverse retro jerseys. There's lots of different sites that have ranked them. There's lots of different sites that just have them listed, but um, they're all there for you in all their glory. My yes is the Vancouver Canucks. Now I know that's crazy for me to be liking something from the Vancouver Canucks, but I actually have to say, I think the Vancouver Canucks on whole in the history of their organization has had some very bold and very interesting Jersey designs. I'm thinking of the flying skate, uh, Mm -hmm. the original V, the orange and black V is very interesting. I don't think there's, you know, like, I don't think, aesthetically the the orca is is you know i think it's it's interesting it's innovative uh it's a little strange um but it's definitely 
it's definitely iconic and, and recognizable, which I think there's value to. The Vancouver jersey this time around, though, last time I should say, the last time they did this, they did not like it. It was kind of universally condemned. It was that it was a weird gradient green to to the navy, and then really it was just their logo. The team absolutely hated it. The players did not like it, and the players did not win a single game wearing it. In fact, halfway through the season, they scrapped it, saying that the two other games that had been scheduled for it, they just weren't going to do, almost like superstition. Um, they just they couldn't stand it, so they got away from it, uh, which is kind of funny. This year, they've gone with Johnny Canuck. So it's interesting because this is actually the logo of the new Abbotsford Canucks, but this was an alternative uh, uh, alternate logo for the Canucks for a few years. Johnny Canuck, sort of an unofficial mascot, it's blue, it's green, it's white. I really like this jersey. Um, it, I don't know. It feels it feels retro. What do you think, Braden? Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, I think it looks good. I, I mean, the, yeah, I like it. All right, Braden, what's your yes? Who are you, think, who, what, what are you in favor of? Yeah, I'm definitely in favor of um, the Capitals, the Washington Capitals. I, I love the Eagle logo. I think it's so cool that they brought that back. And and also seeing Ovechkin like now uh, as an ancient man, um, he, he, it looks great. It looks great back on him. Yeah, he was in that jersey when he was drafted, obviously, which tells you how long he's been there. It was sort of their second iteration. Uh, you know, the player I think of when I see this jersey is Olaf Kolzik. Okay, that's unique. Or Peter or Peter Bondra. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, you know, but it is a it's a great logo. They went with jersey. this. They went with this last time. And it was more of the reverse thing they're going for. It was the red and blue. But I think they they like this is great. It's the, kind of that dark bronze and blue and black i love it good choice elliot what's your yes i don't know i hate this segment <laughs> i think i'll go it's with a strong uh, word elliot oh, yeah, no, no, come on um yes they were this is a audio a medium and we're gonna talk about something visual i'll go with the florida <laughs> i think it's uh i don't know it's the florida one's interesting i guess yeah you know what i i, I tend to agree here's my thought on the florida one like we've seen a lot with the miami heat um, them really kind of embracing like almost a Miami vice style. And like this idea of like Florida culture and Florida aesthetics, it's bright, it's colorful. This is awesome. I love this. You've got the big yellow sun on the powder blue Jersey. Big fan of this logo. I agree with you. Big, big fan of this one. Um, all right. We'll kind of do this like a snake draft, I guess. I'll let you want to jump in with your no next, which one are you absolutely mm, like? Any of the ones no. that just like, don't look like anything's changed like Tampa Bay. I don't know. This this the, the, the Kraken I don't like I don't know what the hell's different that looks like the Kraken jersey but maybe I'm just not well that's attention. a challenge so that's fair because the Kraken how do you do a reverse jer- or like a retro jersey of a team that already exists I think what they're trying to but do it looks great well Elliot's not a huge fan but what they're trying oh, it to looks do great what they're trying to do I think is pay homage to like the old metros and like the stripes are from an older generation but they've just slapped the new yeah I get that. Detroit's and Chicago's like the exact same. Yeah, I, I also really don't like the Buffalo Sabres one. Like, I just think it's white on white on white. It, I don't like that. Either. They're bringing that Buffalo logo back with the black and red, though, this year as well as a third jersey. I think that's pretty sweet. Uh, my no is Chicago. So I agree with you on that one, Elliot. Uh, Chicago for me is just completely uninspired and uninteresting. And it's, you know, I'm glad they got away from a, you know, a clearly racist uh, effigy, but there's nothing else they could have come up with here. I don't know, to represent the city of Chicago or anything kind of more interesting than this. Uh, yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's definitely a very weak attempt and maybe, maybe, maybe a very safe attempt. And there might not be, that might not be the worst thing in the world for that organization right now, but it's definitely a weak attempt on that. One. That's my no Braden, What's your absolutely get it out of here. No, I love the logo. I love it. 
but I am a no for the Edmonton Oilers jersey. And I'll say this. When they brought it out, when they brought this Todd McFarlane jersey out back in, what, I think 04 or something? I think earlier than that. It was fire. And now it looks like somebody's taken a freaking orange highlighter and just colored on it. No, the orange does not belong on this jersey or on any any of those jerseys. It doesn't look good. And it didn't really look good. I mean, I loved seeing the logo on McDavid, but it really didn't look good to me on the ice. It's a challenging one for sure, because again, you're trying to pay homage to something that, you know, when, once Daryl Cates bought the team, he tried very hard, very quickly to sort of distance himself from the previous ownership group. And this is really the only thing the previous ownership group kind of owned that and like the, the bronze, but this was kind of the one project that they undertook to kind of be, I don't know, original in some way. Uh, obviously Todd McFarlane, a, a co-member of that o- ownership group. So he designed it and, and tried to do something kind of cool with it. It was interesting. I actually dug up uh, an interview because I was curious about like the history of this uh, with Todd McFarlane at the time of designing it. And his big thing was like, he wanted to do something that Oilers fans would be happy with, but he also wanted to make sure that it was something that like transcended other markets that other people would kind of be like, this is cool. This isn't so insider. This isn't too like personal to Edmonton. And I think that logo does it. I mean, it's, it's not as ostentatious as like the the fire snorting horse or something in Calgary, no, but it's definitely, like but it's definitely like bold and kind of out there. What I don't know what it is. I mean, is it like a wrench? It's meteor? a gear. It's I don't a gear. Know. Okay. Anyway, it's interesting. I do like some of the symbol symbolism in it. You've got the five bolts for each Stanley Cup. You've got you know the silver and whatnot. But I agree with you, Braden. The orange just doesn't. And I don't like the numbers on the font the sleeves on. The oh, board. I see. Yeah. Right. Anyway, all right. Uh, Braden, give us your uh, WTF. What, what, I, what's the what's the like? What on earth is are they trying to achieve here? Well, that's that's well, yeah. Gosh, I think I think it's got to be Arizona's. I like it. I think it looks good, and we've never really seen that like Sierra orange, burnt orange on a jersey before. But it's like the the bottom half of it's like a desert with cactus and, and, and there's a lot going on. It's, it's, uh, uh, I mean, you're, I'm sure we're going to get the tampas as well. It's, it's like a, it's like a full on picture. Like it looks there's like a, lot going on. a landscape is on it. Yeah. It's just odd. I mean, I like the, I like the coyote. I think it looks good. Uh, uh, but Ultimately, it's like, what the hell's going on here? Well, it's kind of like it's it's a remix of a 1998 jersey that was uh, purple, but they've gone with this kind of orange color. Elliot, what's your WTF? I don't know. This Vegas one doesn't make any sense to me. It just says Vegas. Oh, you know, it glows in the dark. No, that's I, that makes me hate it more. <laughs> it does glow in the dark. That is especially true. when they play the game in the dark. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I, I'll, I'll finish it off here with Tampa Bay. Cause Braden, you're right. Tampa Bay. There's a lot going on. This was definitely the most, uh, bold choice to, to, to go back to this Jersey. This is from a period of time in like the nineties when that the, there were some very bad decisions being made in the NHL. I believe this Jersey existed in like 1996 or 1997. I, I'm not sure what's going on on the sleeve with like the yellow and white flames, uh, it's interesting because when this jersey was first unveiled, it didn't have the gray shoulder caps, but then when they started playing, it did. Mm. It's got rain on it, uh, streaks of rain, <laughs> yeah, and then across the waist, like the Arizona one, you've got like churning, churning waves. 
Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the the video Tampa Bay put out, but they had their like social media team do like a reveal for the players. They brought them into like a dark room and then turned the lights on it. And and I guess we're hoping that these guys would think it was really lit, but on uh, mass, every single player hated it. And then they had to put out this video of these guys being like, I'm sorry, are we actually going to wear this on the ice? Like Patrick Maroon, you can see him throw up in his mouth. Like it, it, it is horrific. Uh, it looks really, really bad. I have no idea what they were thinking. Uh, and, and, and it's definitely, yeah. I think there's honorable mentions here too. I don't know what Nashville's doing there. I don't know what, uh, I mean, Minnesota's basically just done the Philly same thing. Had. They just flipped them. That was kind of cool. What did you think of that? Well, it was strange. They didn't use them in game. I mean, no, and their, they're not their, regular their argument was that what they do, they're too slippery or something. Yeah. Then change it. Like yeah. then Adidas could change it or, yeah, I mean, just don't. I have two all. honorable <laughs> mentions that, that I just wanted to point out. One was, I think Pittsburgh should go back to this logo permanently. Yeah, it's sick. The, the it, triangle it penguin great. from the 90s is by far the best penguin logo of all time. Uh, I don't know if you caught uh, Jason Zucker scored a goal in this jersey on the first night they wore it and then gave a, a Yager salute. And then a lot of people on Twitter were like, oh, how dare you? That's It's disrespectful to Yarmir Yager. And he posted a video wearing this jersey the next day being like, no, I love it. I think this is awesome. Uh, and then my last honorable mention, I think, goes to the New York Islanders for being bold and going back to their most hated mm. jersey of all time. Their own fan base turned on them when they released this jersey. And now, like so many things, fan bases look back at it and kind of like it. And we they kind of embraced it. it. Who doesn't love oh, the fish yeah. and chips, man? Oh, <laughs> all right. Look, it was another busy episode. Thank you, Braden. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, and as always, thanks everybody for listening. We have a busy week of shows on the Ordinary Podcasting Network. The very last episode of the Pit Stop Podcast for this season is coming at you tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, Braden and Christian, <laughs> Braden and Christian are working on a new basketball podcast uh, episode for you. Hopefully, this week we've got an episode of Off the Shelf that'll drop today, and uh, and and that's where we'll we'll leave it for now. Elliot, thank you. Braden, thank you. Again, thanks everybody for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you don't already. And if you want to know more, head over to ordinarypodcasts.com. We'll catch you next time. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.